Today's program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn, New American Cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You're listening to Inside School Food. I am Laura Stanley, and today's episode is the first of the fall 2014 season, our second season on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm so pleased to be welcoming you back. So today we're going to kick off the new school year with continued discussion of the nutrition standards that are mandated by the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010. This school year, districts are being asked to do even more. They are required to serve even more fruit, now up to a full cup at breakfast, up from a half cup. All grain items must now be what the USDA calls whole grain rich. Um, And there's a complicated definition there that we will explore in a later episode, but in short, it means mostly whole grain. Sodium uh, now has to meet target one levels, and then there are the new smart snacks rules for a la carte items and foods sold outside mealtimes, and that too is a complicated topic we'll be taking on in depth in the weeks to come. So it's a lot. Uh, Can SFAs do it? Uh, That depends on who you ask. So today we will be asking two food service directors from medium-sized districts at opposite ends of the country. Uh, Karen Brown is from Sumner, Washington, and Donna Martin is from Burke County, Georgia. I will be asking them to look uh, not just ahead, but back. How have they managed with the mandatory fruits, veggies, and whole grains that they already had to introduce since 2012? And what do their challenges and successes with the new standards so far suggest to them about what's ahead for 2014-15? Um, to, to, to prepare for today's discussion, I asked Karen and Donna to read a study that was published in the August 2014 Journal of Child Obesity, um, led by Dr. Lindsay Turner of the College of Uh, education at Boise State University. Um, It reports on a broad national survey of lunch participation in more than 550 elementary schools. Um, It was conducted in the spring of 2013. The findings are encouraging, but not unequivocally optimistic. Um, Half of the respondents said that students complained about the the new meals at first, not surprisingly, but 70% agreed that students now like the new lunches. Um, uh, The study also found that exemptus is generally better in districts where a majority of children receive meals free or at a reduced price, and acceptance also tends to be better in suburban and urban districts than in rural ones. Um, And for a link to that study, by the way, please visit Inside School Food on Facebook. So uh, we're going to start our conversation with Karen Brown. Welcome to Inside School Food, Karen. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So you majored in food science and human nutrition at Washington State University, where you decided on school food service as a career a long time ago. So you've been working in the field for 21 years, and um, you told me that you're currently working your dream job as director of child nutrition at Sumner for for nine years, right? 
Yes, Sumner for nine. Nine years, okay. And you're active in the School Nutrition Association. You sit on uh, the Resolutions and Bylaws Committee, and you've served as Education Chair for your state association, right? Yes, that's correct. So I have to tell listeners how I met you. Um, it's a kind of a good story. Um, last June, you submitted a letter to Food Management Magazine in response to their request from um, to, to add, they asked food service directors from uh, around the country about the controversy over changes in the meal pattern. Um, they asked them to weigh in with letters, and your letter was so sincere and thoughtful, and I thought really reasonable that I decided I needed to get to know you. So we'll be talking a little bit about that letter shortly. But but first, Karen, tell us a little bit about your district. We are a suburban district of 8,700. We have 13 schools, uh, five secondary schools and eight elementaries. Our free and reduced percentage is about 35, so we're kind of a middle-income sort of district. Um, we have two high-needs elementary schools that are over 60% free and reduced, but the rest of our district is pretty moderate between 25 and 30% frame reduced. Right, right. And I, I took a look at your menus online, and they're, it's, you know, familiar, kid-friendly uh, friendly kind of fare, lots of chicken burgers, pot roast, enchiladas, and lasagnas. Um, obviously, there's lots of different kinds of fruits and veggies every day. Um, and you've got some scratch cooking going on in your kitchens, right? We do, yes. Yes, we make, um, we buy some pre-cooked beef tips, and we make them into Asian entrees. We make them with mashed potatoes and gravy for the kids. So we do. We try to kind of feed scratch sort of situation in our district. Right, right, right. And and you told me that most of your students have not been resistant to the changes in the meal pattern. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, They have been pretty accepting of it because we, we in Washington had a nutrition policy that was required in the 05-06 school year. So those of us in Washington have been on this path for almost 10 years now, and that would be with adding more whole grains and adding more fruits and vegetables. So the new meal pattern wasn't such a shock to the kids right, to a certain right, extent. Right, right. Um, and and you, you, you told me that at some point you, you very daringly introduced an all-you-can-eat fruits and veggies um, option in your elementary schools, and, and the kids went nuts, and you were worried that you were, or at least your staff was worried that they were going through too much food. So, exactly. Yeah, so they, so they like them, right? Um, they do, yes. Yeah, yeah. And yet now, now with the new rules um, in place, you, you tell me you have seen participation and revenue drop in the last couple of years. Um, what's happened, and, and why do you think that's happening? I, the re, the uh, drop in participation and revenue came mostly from our high schools. Um, when I fr- started here almost nine years ago, when I instituted the All You Care to Take Salad Bars district-wide, the kindergartners that year, that's all they knew. So it was normal to them, and they were eighth graders the first year of the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. Mm-hmm. So it was the high school kids when they came to the line, and we said, well, you need to take a fruit or a vegetable. They said, you can't make me take that. And that's where the most of our resistance came from. Right, right. And, and you know, they're teenagers. I mean, when was the last time? I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to tell a teenager they have to eat something. So it's a, it's, a difficult, uh, it's a difficult dance, I guess, for your staff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you said that um, y- you did try prior to um, the, the changes in 2012-13 to prepare kids 
your secondary school kids and your and their families for the changes. What did you do? We had information on our website. We sent a letter home. We had posters that we had made up that we put out at back-to-school nights and scheduled pickups. So everywhere the kids and parents went, they were seeing that there's a new meal. There's changes coming to our meal plan. Help us help your kids be successful in taking fruits and vegetables. So they saw signs, and it was electronic, and then also in print. There was, we, we thought we did a pretty good job getting the information out to the parents and to the kids to, we've, you know, big colorful signs that were on the serving lines when school started. And um, so we thought we did a pretty good job trying to get them ready for the new meal pattern change. Right, right. But with some uh, families, that kind of backfired. You got some nasty calls from a few parents, didn't you? I did, yes. I actually had one parent call and say that he was uh, going to have his child um, eat the fruits and vegetables and then get sick on one of my cashiers. Um, I know, that was amazing. But he did say, he said his child had an allergy, and I said, well, if you bring me a note, we can make changes to the meal pattern just like any other child with an allergy. Right, right, right. But, but, but would you say that that caller um, represented the majority of parents in your community? No, uh-uh. They were, there were just a few of those. Um, so thankfully, the majority of the parents just, you know, said to their kids, take the fruits and vegetables, or they're going to get charged more for lunch. Right, 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 right. Those calls were few and far between, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's look at the, the Journal of Child Obesity Study for a minute. Uh, when, when you read the survey results, um, did you see your district's experience reflected at all in there? Like, for instance, are, are you seeing more of a participation drop among the kids who can afford to pay? Yeah. yeah, the kids who, because there were so many changes the first year, because we changed the offerings of the breads that we used to serve at high school, it was definitely the kids that could afford to pay. They just would go to the snack bar or they wouldn't eat at all. They'd bring food from home. We have closed campuses at our high schools, but, so they would just bring food from home. Right, so, so, so they had that option. Um, but, but, you are, so, but the encouraging news here is that your current crop of ninth graders are your original kindergartens, those kids we just talked about who were very enthusiastic about their fruits and veggies. I know it's early in the school year, but how are your ninth graders behaving on, on the lunch line? You, you, is there you know, a sign of hope ahead? Yes, I, definitely a sign of hope. Um, I've gotten calls already from some of my um, managers saying that they have to increase their produce orders because the kids are eating them out of house and home as far as produce goes, and I think that's fabulous. So, so you, you think, I mean, even though you, you've lost some participation in re- revenue, I mean, look, look ahead four years. How are you going to be doing? I think four years from now, we'll be, we will be holding steady and we'll be fine. Yeah. Kids are getting used to the new meal pattern. They'll, um, we're cha- making some changes to our menus and adding different fruits and vegetables to try and draw them in and make sure that we're serving things that they like. Right, right, right. Um, So I just want to look at your letter. Um, I'll quote a few things, and and, and listeners who want to read the whole thing can uh, check it out. There's a link on the uh, Inside School Food Facebook page. But you said, um, we we all know that kids need to get used to new things. If directors had been given the option to phase in the changes over a set period of times, the results would have been um, more positive. I mean, if you had been given the autonomy to introduce the same changes your way, based on your intimate understanding of the community, how would you have done it? I would have started with, I would have phased it in with my um, 
K through 8, so my elementary and middle school kids, because they were more than like, they were generally used to it already. Um, and then given the high school kids an additional year to, for my cashiers and my staff in the buildings to say, okay, this is coming, so try some salad or try apples or try some different fruits and vegetables because by next year it'll be a requirement. Right, right. So just, just a little bit more time for those older kids. Um, but at this point, are, are you in favor of a temporary waiver or you feel like it's, it's okay to stay the course? It's definitely okay to stay the course. Uh-huh. Even if there was a waiver, we and Sumner would not change. We right. started down this path, and there's no reason to go back. Right, right, right. Yeah, and another quote from your letter, you say, in spite of everything, we will continue on the same path that we started eight years ago. We will continue to serve kids healthy meals that include a variety of fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Um, oh, and, and then here's another comment, um, and this is something that, this is really the reason I, I wanted to get to know you. Um, it was in your final paragraph. You said, it is sad to see feeding kids become such a politically charged issue. Since the beginning of the National School Lunch Program, we have had nutritional requirements that we've had to meet. Somehow that piece of information has been conveniently left out of all the conversations leading up to the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. You know, how has all this politicization of school food affected your image in the community you serve? Well, I think because the information was left out that we've served healthy meals all along, I get more calls from parents saying, why would you serve chicken nuggets or pizza? Why are you serving things that aren't good? And then I explain to them that our pizza crust is whole grain, our breading on our chicken nuggets is whole grain. In fact, I just had a call Friday um, the chicken in the chicken nuggets is white meat. We serve brown rice. We serve whole grain breads. We've done that for years. It's not, and it's not unique to us here in this district or in the nation. People have made these changes, seeing that the changes in the meal pattern were coming. Right, right. So, so there's this misperception that that the you know the food was bad, and now it's supposed to be good, and maybe it's not good enough. Right, exactly. And I think one of the quotes I heard was. Um, we in school nutrition are undermining what the parents are trying to do. Wow, wow. And we're not doing that at all. So, I mean, how, how, can, you know, how can we engage the media to tell the story more accurately? It's a challenge, huh? Exactly. I was thinking about that on, on my way to work this morning, as a matter of fact. Um, I was thinking that I need to get a hold of our communications director for our district, because she has a good relationship with our local paper, and have her help me put an article in the paper explaining our meal pattern and explaining the good things that we do for the kids in our district. And um, we as food service directors have a, sometimes have a difficult time, you know, going out into the public and talking about all the good things that we do. We just prefer to stay behind the scenes and, and work and feed the kids and make them healthy. But I think all of us at this point need to go to the media and explain to our parents the good things that we're doing. Right, right. It, it, just one last point with regard to the pizza question. Um, something I didn't mention about um, Dr. Turner's study is that it, it, it found that districts that have held on to pizza, albeit the healthier versions, as you say, with whole grain crust, crust they're doing much better with participation under the new rules than those who have dropped it. And it, it seems the kids are not complaining that the pizza's changed. They just want there to be pizza, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Karen Brown, uh, Child Nutrition Director in Sumner School District, Washington State, um, thank you so much for sharing your story today. 
Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, You are listening to Inside School Food. We are going to station break now. When we come back, we'll be going way south and east of Sumner to visit with the food service director from rural Burke County, Georgia. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back to Inside School Food. Today we're speaking with food service directors from two mid-sized districts in different parts of the country about their experiences in coping with mandated changes in USDA meals programs. My next guest, Donna Martin of Burke County, Georgia, has been an outspoken defender of the changes. In late May, she was one of a handful of food service directors invited to talk about USDA nutrition regulations with First Lady Michelle Obama, and she was the only representative from a smaller rural district at that meeting. Uh, Donna subsequently participated in a media call with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack and General William Wallace and Rear Admiral James Bennett. Uh, I'm sorry, James Barnett, uh, representing Mission Readiness. All four on this call spoke of their conviction that staying the course on the new meal pattern is critical to the health of American school children and even American security. So welcome, Donna. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Laura. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, So you've really been in the national spotlight. Were, Were you surprised to be asked to take a stand so publicly this spring? Well, I really wasn't because I've been working with Janie Thornton and USDA and, and looking at the proposals and the regulations, and, and she has, and I think they've been very interested in what we have to say, and I've been kind of sharing my thoughts with her, and I think she knew that I was supportive of them, and she's had a really tough road to hoe with, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get these going, and so I, she knew that I was supportive of them, and so she called and asked me to do her a favor, and and do the the talk with Secretary Vilsack, and I told her I was glad to. And from there came the invite to go to the White House. Right, right. So, so Donna, you um, are a dietitian with a master's in clinical nutrition, and like our last guest, Karen Brown, you've been um, working in school nutrition service for for many years in districts large and small. How long have you been uh, food service director in Burke County? I've been here over 13 years. I just celebrated my anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and, and you're also extremely active in the School Nutrition Association. Is that right? That's correct. I'm on the foundation board, and I also serve on the governing council. We help re- uh, regulate the registration exam, the SNS exam. Right. So I'm, I am active. Right, right. Um, and tell us a little bit about Burke County. Well, Burke County is a very rural community. We have a very, very low socioeconomic base. And um, to put it in perspective, over 63% of my students are on food stamps. And 
We're a very large landmass county with about 638 square miles, and it's basically one big food desert. Mm-hmm. So I have five schools with about 4,500 students, and we operate under the Community Eligibility Program, which means all of my children eat free breakfast, free lunch, free after-school snack, free supper. We also offer the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Grant, and we do a big summer feeding program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and your menu, um, in, in some regards, looks um, somewhat like Sumner's. It's well stocked with traditional school fare. There's burgers, lasagna, pasta salad, a wide variety of sandwiches, um, lots of choices every day. And I know that you've managed to include some whole grain versions of some Southern classics, right? Right. We've really been doing working hard on that. Um, one of our students' very favorite things is grits, and we were very concerned that we wouldn't be able to serve grits. So we have a The county right next door to us is growing local grits and and milling them for us. So we have whole grain grits that we package up and serve for our breakfast in the classroom. And we also have a county, two counties away, that is doing whole wheat flour for us. So they're growing it and milling it for us and delivering it to us monthly. And so we have locally grown whole wheat flour, which makes fabulous rolls. Right. There's a great farm-to-school story in there. Uh, Wonderful farm-to-school work going on in Georgia overall. Um, so, so most listeners will know that the SNA leadership is advocating for a relaxation of the nutrition standards. So you have really broken ranks with them and advocating um, that we forge ahead. Um, and yet you, you have been very clear on just how hard it's been for you to bring your district into compliance. And, and, and that's really what SNA is saying, too. So, so where's the disagreement? Well, I think they're they're speaking for their. They feel like they have to represent all of their membership, and they have a large membership that are not registered dietitians, and and they may be a one school district, you know, and that's a tough situation. And it may be that the school nutrition director was the also is over maintenance and is over transportation, and so school nutrition is just a minority part of their job. So they have not done what we have all done. And we, they have not done what Karen and I have done, which we've been working on these for eight years, these changes. And so they're all of a sudden it's slapping them in the face, and they're just taken aback, and they have complained very vehemently to mm-hmm. SNA. And so SNA feels like they need to represent them. And I think the majority of districts are like Karen and mine. We're, we're doing it, and it's working. But I think there is a small minority out there that are really, really struggling. Right. Right, right. So, so, and you know, and your community is rural, and you know, according to to the Turner study, uh, y- you have more of a struggle in getting kids to accept the change menus. Um, you know, what's what's the, you know, what's at stake in your community? Like, what's the food culture um, at home for these kids? Well, the food culture at home for my kids, disappointingly enough, is that they're. This is probably their last hope to get a good meal is at school. When they get home, the best thing they might eat is a Hot Pocket or something like that. A lot of times it's just potato chips and and juice or something like that, sometimes candy that the the parents do not cook. And so we have a, a real challenge to make sure that we give the kids the best nutrition that we can give them. And so that's why I feel very, very strongly that we cannot go back on these these regulations that uh, my children, it's very, very important for them to get all these fresh fruits and vegetables that they're not going to get at home because they do live in a food desert and their parents don't have cars and they can't get to the grocery store, maybe a little corner store that they go to, and so they're just going to just buy whatever they can buy, and it's a financial issue. So there's a lot at stake for my children, and I I feel very, very strong about um, making sure that I provide them optimal nutrition. Right, right. And then, then, you know, 
other rural districts um, that face similar challenges in the community um, that are not in the kind of state of readiness that, that you were if, if there were to be a rollback? What, you know, how would those, you know, th- there's a lot at stake, in other words, for, for kids from these communities. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think if you're in a wealthy community, the parents know all about nutrition and mm-hmm. they really care about it and they, they can afford to buy the, the healthiest food and they want to have the best food. But I think in a situation where I am, the parents don't have that luxury. And so it's m- more important in your rural and your, in your poor districts to make sure that these these regulations go forward. Right, right. So a very different environment from the one that Karen was describing, um, where she's got parents calling and, and complaining that perhaps the meals aren't healthy enough. Um, right. Yeah, so another comparison to, to Sumner in, in Washington State, that the Turner study is clear about the major challenge that you as a community eligibility district do not face. You do not have paying students who can choose not to participate. Um, can you comment on that? We we talked about something called what you called paid lunch equity. Explain what that, right. what that means. Right. Well, I think one of the disappointments a lot of districts have had is they've had to that have paying students they've had to increase the cost of their meals to meet the cost of federal reimbursement minus the thirty eight cents that they get from the government, and so. The cost of their lunches have gone up and up and up, and so a lot of parents have said, you know, if you have two or three kids and you're having to pay two fifty, two seventy five for lunch, they just say, I can pack a lunch cheaper than I can um, pay for my children at school. So I think that's been an issue. But I think also there's been an issue with the cost of rising health care costs for all of us, and mm-hmm. so that has made a lot of districts have their costs have gone up tremendously because of that. And I think we've got to look at it's not just the rising cost of food, but it's the rising cost of labor and and um, benefits and things like that. So I think everybody that goes to the grocery store has seen the cost of food go up, and mm-hmm. so we're all dealing with that. But I think the paid lunch equity is a, a problem for people like Karen, because some school districts didn't even want to go up on their lunches, but they're mandated to have to go up on lunch. And every time you go up on the price, you definitely lose participation. Right, right, right. So, so it's really like cost is the central issue, I think. Uh, would you agree? Uh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I, I think, you know, people ask, well, why don't you ask for more money? I said, we're not going to get more money. That's, n- that's not even an option. But I think something that I would suggest we ask for is more commodities. Mm-hmm. I think if we had got more commodities, it would help all of our American farmers and it would give us food. And I think it would be a much more of a win-win situation if we asked for an increase in the commodities instead of just asking for an increase in money reimbursement for us. Because I think times are just really tough everywhere and, mm-hmm. and it's going to be hard to get more money. Right. Well, that's an interesting point about commodities and that's a huge topic. I'm really glad you brought it up because now I want to do an episode um, on Inside School Food just about that. So thank you for that. Right. Right. Good. Right. Good. Right. Um, and, and again, I, I also want to make another kind of challenge to the press as I did in the first segment. I, 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 I read a lot of what's um, being reported in the press, both national and local. And I, and I feel like the issue of cost and the kind of strain that districts are under with regard to costs is they're kind of missing that because they're, they're talking about the policy controversy. Right. So, yeah. 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 Um, and, and, you know, one last thing, I, we, we've also talked a little bit about what you're observing with regard to food shortages, which seem connected with oh, the, right. um, the new standards and the increased demands for fruits, vegetables, whole grains. What's going on? 
Well, it's terrible. I think that, you know, so many districts finally decided this year they had to bite the bullet and do all these these new regulations. And so with the increase in fruit requirements at breakfast from a half a cup to a cup, a lot of people were serving juice at breakfast, and now they can only serve 50% of the fruit as juice, so Mm -hmm. they have to serve a half a cup of fruit at breakfast. So we're seeing a shortage of canned fruit all over the country, and we're also seeing a shortage of fresh fruit because they cannot keep up with the demand. But we're seeing a shortage in ketchup because we're all using low-sodium ketchup, and they cannot do it. We're seeing a shortage of um, chicken with whole grain on it because they cannot make the chicken fast enough, and Mm -hmm. we're seeing a shortage of baked products like Tostitos and chips and things like that because all of a sudden everybody's using those things. And so... It has just wreaked havoc with us in our school district right. this year trying to get the things that we need because the vendors just have been trying to gear up and they just really cannot. Right, right, right. So that's an unanticipated challenge um, right. as we head into the school year. So we'll be tracking that and see, seeing what that happens. Um, so f- finally, I, Karen Brown's r- final remark in, in her letter to food management, she said, it is sad to see feeding kids become such a politically charged issue. Um, and as someone, you know, kind of, you know, in the middle of this, I mean, in, in your view, what can be done to bridge the divide in the school nutrition community and move everybody forward on shared goals? Well, you know, I really do think that we all need to realize that USDA wants us to be successful. I mean, they are looking for this program to succeed just like we're wanting this program to succeed. And there's always growing pains with any kind of program. And, you know, look at Obamacare. There's been all kinds of growing pains there. And so I think we just all need to be communicating together. USDA has already made some significant changes with relaxing the grain and meat requirements. And and I think they're looking at the sodium requirements to see that we probably may only stay at target one. Mm -hmm. And they have relax the smoothie requirements at breakfast, so they're listening. So we just need to be talking together, working together, and I think they are going to smooth out all the kinks and and problems. It's just something new, and so I think we just need to be communicating together. And the other thing is I I suggest we invite the media to come have lunch with us Mm -hmm. and come see what we are really serving. We get such a bad rap, and when they come to our schools, they're blown away with what with what we're doing. And I also invite the parents in to see what we're doing. They see sausage biscuit and they don't realize it's a turkey sausage patty and a whole grain biscuit. Mm-hmm. And they, they totally change their mind when they come in and see what we're really, really doing. Right, right. So yet again, uh, from, from you and also from Karen earlier, a call to, out to the media to uh, pay more attention to the good stuff. Come have lunch. Right. It's a great idea. So um, I've been visiting with Donna Martin, who is director of the School Nutrition Program in Burke County, Georgia. Donna, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you, and thank you so much for speaking with us today in Inside School Food. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Uh, Listeners, you can find all the resources we've talked about today on the Inside School Food Facebook page. That includes the survey results published in the August 2014 Journal of Child uh, Obesity, uh, Karen Brown's letter to Food Management Magazine, and the audio file of the media call that Donna Martin co-hosted with Secretary Vilsack and Mission Readiness. Uh, next week, is your lunchroom smart enough? Uh, experts from the Cornell Center for Behavioral Economics will be joining us to talk about how simple innovations in cafeteria design can boost healthy eating. I'm Laura Stanley, and I hope you will join us. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website 
or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>